0: Julie Henrikus, the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really thrilled to welcome G.M. Malier to the podcast today. Gin's first DCI St. Just Mystery won the Agatha Award for Best First Novel. The series was later nominated for Anthony, McCavity and Left Coast Crime Awards. Her award-nominated Max Tudor series will continue in 2023 from Little Brown. Three of her short stories recently placed in Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine's Reader Choice Awards, and her novella, A Murder at Moorhead Muse," was nominated for a Derringer. Jen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Julie. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So I'm going to start this conversation the way I, I usually start these conversations and ask you, when did you decide that you wanted to write a book?
1: I always knew I wanted to be a writer. That was pretty much just there uh, in the genetic code, maybe. I, but I never really wanted to be anything else except a brief flirtation with being a ballerina, perhaps. And then that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> that quickly did not work out. Um, no, it's just I. I fell into writing mystery novels, I think, because my sister, who was a nurse, would read Agatha Christie during the night shift to you know to stay awake. She had to obviously stay awake, and um, she was much older than I was, and I probably was doing some hero worship. But she turned me on to Agatha Christie books, and I think that was kind of it for me. I I just was so entranced by the the plotting and the the cleverness. And to this day, if I reread one of her books, I'm surprised by the endings. It's it's, it's a strange quality she has of always surprising you.
0: Yeah, wonderful plotting and and puzzles. Um, Mm -hmm. So tell me about the evolution into to writing. I mean, you know, mystery writing. Your sister uh, got you there, but how did you how did you become a writer?
1: Well, I I studied journalism. I have a BA in journalism. Uh, and quickly realized that the kind of cut and thrust of interviewing people during a tragedy was was not going to be a strength of mine. But I used the, the writing skills. I had some wonderful teachers, uh, and I took those writing skills, it ended up uh, being a professional student for a while, and then worked in marketing and advertising. And uh, I tell people, now, you know, I've reached that age where I start giving people advice. It's really, <laughs> it's very annoying, I'm sure. But if I had it to do over, I would have done something during had a day job where I wasn't writing all the time because then to come home or wake up early and write was really a, a strain. You, I think there's a there is a well and you can empty it very quickly if you're just writing all the time. But um, that's that was it. And then I joined. Uh, citrus in Crime, and I attended uh, the Malice Domestic Conference and realized I had a, a first author competition and entered that and was lucky enough to win, and that that was it. I was just looking for validation at that point, mm-hmm. and that told me I was on the right track.
0: Um, and was that the award where Ruth would work with you? I mean, or, or had she already... Pass the baton at that point.
1: I think she was gone by that point. This was the uh, you, the first fifty pages were judged for this competition, and then I did finish the the book and entered for uh, was was nominated for best first novel as a result of of that two step process, and that was that was wonderful. That really was wonderful.
0: Um. So I. I... Circling back to what you said about being a writer during the day and then writing fiction at night, it's two different skill sets, you know, being a journalist and then at writing a novel. Not completely different, perhaps, but it's it's a different, um, different mindset, certainly. Did you have to unlearn your journalism skills in order to write fiction, or did you find that they complemented each other?
1: Uh, I think it complemented each other. Uh, I chose journalism, in fact, because I didn't want to study English and just write essays about uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, for example, I just, uh, I wanted to avoid that. So that's why I went into journalism. I wanted the practical writing skills, which, you know, to this day, that has paid off as a uh, investment in college um, time. But I was working in advertising and marketing, and that tends to be a sprint. Of mm-hmm. little, little stuff that is, you know, quickly done and quickly forgotten and argued over endlessly because everyone has a better idea. And so, <laughs> the welcoming part of this was to, you know, to be on your own writing the, the novel that was your novel, and no one was going to tell you differently. At least not initially. Uh, it was your your property; you owned it. And I I think that was probably a, my reaction to my day job was that I got to to do my own stuff at the end of the day actually it was more like at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning that's those are my good hours for writing before work yeah i used to do that i couldn't do it now but that's that's what i did for two or three years
0: um and do you um and pd james did that as well she would get up at like before work and and write because The day just would wear her out and she, you know, and she had family and everything else that she worked with. So I I applaud that because I I can't even imagine um, waking up that early and being creative.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's kind of I'm a morning person, so that's my best time. And at night, all I want to do is turn on the TV, really, and, you know, watch whatever is good on TV. So that, um, yeah, morning person.
0: And was it always going to be mysteries, crime fiction for you? Um, you know, your influence of your sister. But, you know, did you ever think about writing another genre?
1: I wrote a couple of, um, I would call it Women in, in Jeopardy suspense. So I was always in the in the realm of mystery. But um, the actual, my, my first mystery was called Death of a Cozy Writer. Yes. It doesn't get much more traditional (laughs) mystery than that and that was hugely influenced by Robert Bernard who is is no longer with us and he was he was just such a funny witty writer I just loved his especially his early books were so wonderful so this the first book I wrote was very much based inspired you know by him by his writing and I got a chance to tell him that too which was pretty great
0: oh that's awesome That's awesome. I I remember that book well. It was wonderful. Um, So tell me about your, your series and, you know, uh, DCA St. Just and uh, Max Tudor, you know, how did you discover them and start writing, writing those, you know, those characters and, and those series? Uh,
1: St. Just is uh, his family is from Cornwall. He's just a, a cop and i don't really describe him other than a, a large policeman i don't get too much into detail he has dark hair uh he's he's kind and he's ethical and he's smart and i didn't want a troubled protagonist who drank a lot you know i wanted just this good guy and maybe for people to believe that in the world there are policemen who are really after truth and justice and that's that's how they see their job Uh, So that was St. Just. Uh, My mother's family was from Cornwall. So that was a bit of where he came from. And uh, Max Tudor came from attending the, I think this happened at this St. Hilda's conference where PD James Mm -hmm. was attending. And she was talking about her, a friend of hers who was a coroner and also a priest. And that was news to me that you could do both. You could have two jobs I thought priest was full-time or coroner um, was full-time, but th- this man combined the two. And then a few years later, actually I met a man who is CIA and uh, an Anglican priest, an Episcopal priest in this case. And so all these things all, you know, they're churning away in the background. I don't know what I was doing meantime, but all this kind of simmers. And it came out as, oh, and then I watched um, Bridget Jones' Diary and uh, Hugh Grant in that, and he got into the mix. So Max Tudor is Hugh Grant, but younger and hugely ethical, good-doer kind of man, Uh, highly sought after by women because he's so good-looking, but he goes to a small village, he's leaving MI5, he's leaving all that life behind, and he goes to another monk's lip. and sure enough, all the crimes start following him. And he has to solve them.
0: And two male protagonists. Tell me about that. And and you know, um, you know, did those did did the protagonists just come to you as men? Was it challenging? Why did you decide to write male protagonists?
1: You know, I wish I knew. I just I have attempted a female the first person voice and it's either the female or the first person that I, it just doesn't gel for me. Mm -hmm. It's just not a success. I do not know why. And I also do third person. And I think that's my, you know, my strength. Uh, If, if I, you know, if I have to, I don't know, I just naturally go to third person omniscient point of view so that every, you know, the, the overall viewer can tell the reader, What's going on? Uh, first person I had a lot of trouble with because you know you're what's going on is so hidden from everyone, including the uh the sleuth um and the female part I wish I knew i I would love to do a book like um oh, Sue Grafton. I mm-hmm. love that character, but I think you know I will leave Sue Grafton with those laurels because I just I can't quite do that.
0: well obviously you you can you know you do what you do so well so it works for you and omniscient third persons you know this is a writing podcast so so talk about that and choice of point of view because i think that um if people some it's an active choice you need to make about how you're going to tell the story. First person, third person, omniscient, third person, close, you know, multiple points of view and it matters. So talk to me about choosing that point of view.
1: Oh, I can talk about the drawback of it is that one of these characters is going to be the killer and you can't get too deep into the killer's head because you'll be thinking about how he's going to kill Susan or whatever you know he's thinking so I did find that that a challenge especially with the first book I ever wrote and in fact she became the killer because I realized she was not behaving in a normal way there was something wrong with this character and then once I realized she was the killer I could sort of dance around I have one scene with her but I don't make it clear that she's up to no good she's just thinking about another of the characters that mm-hmm. she doesn't like or something um yeah it's just i think it allows for more humor in a mystery because the overall godlike narrator can see what's going on and see the humor in it the all these these people fighting and fussing usually over money in my books i don't know why that is either but you know, they're able to give the reader insight into these dynamics. And I think that's extremely useful and not as easy to do in first person. In fact, kind of impossible for me to do in first person.
0: Right. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting journey. uh, You know, uh, have you ever changed um, point of view as you're writing something so oh, maybe this is the one that goes in, especially with shorter fiction or or novellas you know oh this one will be in first person and try it
1: uh, uh, I no, really that I have changed point of view I have focused on a, a separate character in fact the book I'm working on now I sort of pull her out of the action and and concentrate on her life and her concerns uh, and she's not interacting with anyone else. She's just thinking about things going on in her life. Uh, I would love to do um, different point of view kind of uh, book, different, you know, alternating chapters, all of that. It's very tricky to do. The few books I've read like that, I can see why that uh, requires an outliner to uh, to master that. And I'm not much of an outliner.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Talk about your process for writing a book, either in a series or or something different. How do you approach writing a book?
1: um somehow the the setting, I think dictates that's the first thing you have to settle on is the setting with series characters, you know who your characters are. Um, from there, it just it just sort of builds and progresses uh i get a lot of ideas for the crime itself from just from reading the news these you know the crazy things people think they will get away with and of course we don't know the ones who did get away with it but the ones that end up in the news uh often provide fodder for um my plots because i i just people are incredible and again it's usually money they're killing their wife uh I'm trying to remember this particular case. I'm not sure I'll remember all the details, but a dentist killing his wife and a man that he set up to look like it was her lover. But in fact, he was just killing both of them to make it look like that. Anyway, um, that ended up in one of my books. I can't remember. I think it was Max Tudor number seven or eight. That was the plot.
0: So, um, You talked about Max Tudor's evolution of the germ of the idea coming from hearing P.D. James and then reading and traveling and then Hugh Grant. Does it take you a while for things to sort of gel into or get a gravitational pull of saying, "Okay, this is it?
1: Yeah, there's usually, uh, you know, you're a writer, you know, there's usually something boiling in the background for maybe two or three plots. Um. I don't know, you just sort of keep writing and it emerges is the best way I can explain what happens to me. It just, you have to write every day and you do not sit around waiting for the muse to strike because you will never, never get anywhere that way. You just have to write every single day, even if you think you don't have anything to say. Fortunately, once I know I have a a contract for a book, I have no writer's block if if there is such a thing i i i've made a commitment i'm going to write this book so that's becomes easy for me i think what's hard for everyone starting out is nobody cares if you write that day or not right they, there's no gatekeeper there's nobody watching you and you're on your own believing in yourself and being shot down and getting back up and just thinking that you, you, you are doing this because you know, you're going to succeed and you want to get there, but that's the hard part. You don't have a contract. You might not have an agent. I couldn't get an agent for the longest time. And you just, even with an agent now uh, he's saying, maybe, why don't you write a standalone? And I'm thinking, eh, You know, I can't can't think of a a single idea. If I don't have a contract for a standalone, then I could do it.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So are you a plot? You're not a plotter. You've made this. Are you, you know... uh, a lot of people will meld the two or figure things out how do you write a book do you you know you have the germ it's sort of good I call it a gravitational pull like okay there's enough here that I can start something um but are you you know do you have guideposts do you know who did it when you start the book do you have your list of suspects or are you figuring all that out as you write?
1: I think it changes a little bit with each book. The the current book I know I knew pretty soon who was the killer and the trick became to hide that fact, to give him an alibi, to ha- give him witnesses who would claim they'd seen him that kind of thing. But it is it is different. Every single book is um maybe keeping myself interested is is a big part of it. So I don't yeah. I don't pin myself down too much. I let it let it flow a bit. Um, I do start writing and scribbling out all these ideas, and eventually realize I need an outline. And I'll start roughing in what I think happens. Chapter, so, you know, roughly chapter eighteen. Start working in large blocks of things. I don't write in a serial fashion. Normally I just work on whatever is interesting me at the moment. And as I go along, I see what the plot is and I start writing that down, making it more concrete and not just an idea.
0: So you write the scenes that would, that interest you or that you think are going to happen. And then you move things around. So it fits the story and then fill in in between.
1: Exactly. Uh, There'll be a scene that, you know, you have to have like a, Oh, the character has to visit his aunt. That that has to happen, and that's interesting to you. So you start writing about her village and her her house, and a little bit about her life and his relationship to her. And the next day, I might be more interested in um, this man is uh, uh, the master of a college in Cambridge. And there is the Michaelmas term and all the students are arriving and he notices one student in particular. And I'm re I start writing that scene. And that happens actually months after he's been visiting his aunt just is never, I wish I could just write, start, start to finish. That would be so much easier than what I do because once you have chunks of things, you realize there are mistakes in there that that have to be smoothed out because it doesn't match what you said in chapter three anymore. You you know, you have to fix that. But I know this makes no sense, but this is how I work.
0: No, 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 I think it's fascinating. And, and I love that, you know, no two people have the same process. Um, do you write in Word or do you use Scrivener when you're writing?
1: I don't use Scrivener. I am baffled by Scrivener. I've downloaded it and I've taken a couple of uh, Zoom courses. I just don't get it. I think there's there are too many moving parts. So I write in uh, Microsoft Word, and I've started dictating. Now that the the voice dictation has improved itself, I find that really really useful. To just my goal is four pages a day. I can do that pretty quickly now, if I you know not typing.
0: And um, uh, four pages is what roughly a thousand words. A thousand words. Yeah, I do. It yeah. More, yeah sort of.
1: I do keep a, a spreadsheet of how many words I've done and I'll, I'll project a goal, a daily goal. And it usually works out to be 10, 1200 words, depending on what other things are going on in my life. What, you know, what I, how far I can spread it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I read, I wish I could give credit to the person who said this but a writer uh, was explaining that his method was either write four hours a day or uh, four pages a day. Do each, I mean, your choice, do either one, but you have to do that four hours. And actually I can, now that I can dictate, I can do <laughs> do it a lot quicker than four hours and get my four pages in.
0: Yeah, I um, I find that I think that that's a helpful tool to remind folks of too, that that's an option so that if if you're stuck or if your brain's working faster than your hands can type or your hands hurt or you've got arthritis or something, this is another option.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't really have arthritis, but my hands do get tired just pounding away on the keyboard. And so this is really a godsend. It's not 100%. I have to go back in almost immediately to make sure that Microsoft Word heard what I said correctly, because by the next day, I have no idea, you know, yeah. why the word pumpkin is suddenly in my story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and it will, it's sort of like when you're dictating a text and you send it and then you read it and think, oh my goodness, that's no, not it's what I meant to say. So embarrassing. And the,
1: <laughs> I, yeah, you learn the hard way that the text thing knows four letter words and if that's what it thinks you said there it goes there it (laughs) goes
0: so you write four pages a day you don't write in chronological order so you're cutting and pasting and mixing matching at the end but Mm -hmm. before you start writing do you have a sense of the characters and you know their their secrets or their motivations or, or does that come as part of the evolution as well they
1: they arrive one by one and kind of introduce themselves and um that's the fun part of writing they there's a school of writing called the Mr. Potato Head School of Writing because they they end up with little pieces of people you may have seen recently or uh, talked to it's never anyone from real life but it's bits of people from real life that you you consolidate into a new character and that's really fun yeah
0: but it's interesting to me that your they come as you're writing you you write your way into the characters as well so is what's tell me about your editing process you've got characters who evolve you've got scenes from you know all over the novel how do you how do you get that second draft done
1: uh, well <clears throat> yes uh, the physical characteristics Uh, I'm just you just reminded me that work I'm, the book I'm working on now, I believe I described a, a woman physical appearance. And later on in the book, it turns out that that's really not working with what I need her to do in the plot. She needs to be a larger person in the plot because she's there's an eyewitness kind of situation so i need to go back change her hair color th- things like that i'm going to have to revisit those scenes where i described her initially um but i mean mostly it, people are in my world are defined by their by their jobs um uh, like the curator of a museum to i will ha- you know i'll have an idea in my head what that should look like it may have nothing to do with any real curator but that's you know very artistic with a a scarf thrown around the shoulder you know that that kind of look and they're they're you know caricatures to to a large extent but that's at least it's you know it's easily recognizable to the reader oh this is this this is who this guy is this is what he does for a living
0: and but within the plot within the story those characters also if they're suspects, will have a secret they're trying to hide, or motivation, or or things like that. Do they come to you and let you know that as well as you're writing, or do you do you figure out, oh, this is what they're trying to hide as you're getting into the story and it's getting more complicated?
1: Oh, that happened with the, my very first book. Yeah, she surprised me. Uh, in the current book, I knew pretty quickly who the who the killer was. Uh, And then again, the goal became to not let the reader guess immediately who the killer was and cover all that with leaves and whatever (laughs) (laughs) concrete, whatever I could find. Um, It's again, every book has been has been different. And inspired by different things. Again, a a lot of it from the news.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you. Uh, as you're working on um on your books and on your stories you you know in the bio I read you also written short stories novellas and novels those are three different skill sets um, you know it's just when you write a novel doesn't mean that you can write a short story <laughs> um because <laughs> it's a very different skill set did you do you find it challenging to write in different formats? I mean, how tell me about your short story journey?
1: I, I find it interesting, and it, you're absolutely right. A short story, a novel is not just a, a, a long short story, right? It's a whole different animal. Uh, a novella can kind of be a long, long short story that's a gray area, but it's not a short novel. <laughs> I should I should write this down because I'll completely forget I, I said that someday and contradict myself. It's a real gray area. But I'm working on a short story right now. Um, I finished a, a draft of the work in process and I'm letting it gel. I keep using that word, but that's what it's doing is jello. And I uh, started writing on a, sh- a short story for the first time in a long while because I just hadn't had time. And short stories are extremely labor intensive. I could write half a novel pretty much in the time it takes me to, to write a really unique short story, uh, well crafted, something with a, a unique spin because sometimes it feels like everything's been done mm-hmm. to death, no pun intended. Um, and you need a a way to surprise the reader. And the short story is perfect for that, especially.
0: But it is it is hard. I mean, it's a it's um... it's incredibly hard. I have a couple of just
1: discarded short stories I never could get to the bottom of, uh, and I keep thinking I'll go back to that one day, maybe figure out what I thought I was doing. But uh, it, it's a little too easy, I think, to launch into that without an outline. Because why outline a a ten page thing? You almost can't do it. So you're you're rattling along, and then you realize I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have no idea what this story is about. <laughs> um, this one, I I do know what it's about, and it's just going to be a, a trick to hide that from the, reaver, the reader.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's you've mentioned that a few times. That's the goal of the mystery writer is to trick the reader, um, to give them enough that they think they know, and then to um, trick them into thinking something else.
1: Yes, yes. Do you enjoy that part of it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I um, I can't think of anything worse than someone knowing from page one who the the killer is. They just wasted, what is it now, $30 for a hardback? Uh, you can't, people do put their hard-earned money down on these stories and they need, they want to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the goal always just not to outsmart them, but to entertain them.
0: And tell, um, you know, as you were learning how you know your journalism and marketing and advertising and then fiction writing, what's the best piece of writing advice you've gotten or you give, and also what's the worst piece of writing advice you've ever heard?
1: Um well, there's all that always that uh, write what you know, which is which is misinterpreted advice um the advice to uh you know sit around and wait for the muse to visit you is terrible advice again you if you're not sitting at the desk trying to produce the muse doesn't know where to find you you know the muse is not at Safeway or wherever you (laughs) have wandered off to um you really have to be in the middle of of your story and, and churning it over and that's when the, the muse will inspire you. I think it's wonderful that that magic that happens when you're writing and you've, you suddenly see a, a way out of, of, <laughs> of, uh, you know, this uh, twist that you've, you've created for yourself. Um, good advice. I, again, I would say, don't get a day, day job writing, get a day, day job. job doing kind of anything that's more physical and not requiring this, total concentration that writing does require but um and plus writing jobs don't tend to pay that well so get a job as a a lawyer that's my that's my advice <laughs> i know they write too quite a bit but it's a different kind of writing isn't it
0: yeah uh, um and <laughs> tell me about so you've mentioned a little bit about your publishing um journey but what about your publishing journey has surprised you?
1: Um, I think I have a sort of romantic nature, and I didn't understand that it's strictly a business. It is no different from widget making, you know, and you're you're not dealing with with dreamers and. Uh, you know that that kind of personality you're dealing with nuts and bolts spreadsheet loving kinds of people and their job is to to make a profit for their company and i think that that's a good thing to always keep in mind they might love the written word word but they what they really love is that book that takes off and nobody knows why nobody knows why, <laughs> why that book sold a million dollars and is a perfectly book Good book beside it didn't, right? Uh, but it's their job to figure that out.
0: Yeah, and and as a, did you find that your your business, you know, your business marketing and advertising, I think, can also help you understand <laughs> that commodity or that uh, that you know that spin part of the job that is necessary. Did you find that to be true?
1: I think that was probably helpful. Yes. Uh I sort of uh for one thing just learning the technology uh Microsoft Word and uh uh what's the the, the graphic arts program uh, just just learning the that kind of technology was enormously helpful uh understanding that you can't just Write what you want. You you write what you think other people want, and <laughs> that's there's a trick in that too, just appealing to as broad an audience as you can. Now I'm in the traditional mystery, uh, you know, this little container, and it's very hard to break out of that uh, into the suspense field. These is all these have all been demarcated so so thoroughly um and i would like honestly i would like to do that crossover a bit more but uh once you realize okay these are this is my audience it's like being the a member of the eagles they kept playing the same songs over and over and over and people loved them and they understood that was their job to to they had hit on this gold this load and they needed to um to exploit that and if, if they thought it was boring sometimes too bad that was that was what people loved about them and so anyway i don't know where i where i started with this but where i'm going now is that you need to understand your audience and listen to why why they like your story and keep giving them more of that
0: Jim, do you find that as you're working on, uh, you know, your career and as you're building and you're challenging yourself with other things, uh, I, you are I agree with you. You know, these containers are so hard to break out of. But do you think about okay, I'm going to write that standalone suspense novel at some point. I, I don't know what it is or how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to write it at some point to try and break through. I, you
1: know, the, I do think that becomes a problem because if I wrote a standalone people will be thinking uh, this, this is not uh St. this is not Max Tudor. I don't know what to make of this. Uh, and again, that would be breaking this rule I just made about how you need to please your, your audience. That would be a matter of going after a completely different audience. And maybe one day I will attempt that, but it, it, you have to build that edifice again from the ground up. You're not, you have some followers, but now you need to be in a different, maybe age group, you know, different right. demographic. Now you're going after a, a different audience. Now you might get... Lucky there. Look at Dan Brown. He wrote two or three novels that that kind of went nowhere, and then suddenly Da Vinci Code. You know, I I, don't know if that was deliberate on his part. I'm sure he thought his first three or four books would take off, but they they didn't. They they took off once he wrote Da Vinci Code, and they brought them back into circulation. But and that's this. I thought it was a wonderful uh, story. I thought it was a real page turner. Uh, I know there was uh, some difference of opinion about it, but I thought it was a wonderful uh, tale he was telling. Anyway, that was his breakout book. And I'm not sure that he wasn't talking to a completely different audience at that point. Digital Fortress or whatever his other book was, was that was all men for one thing and just a different Mm -hmm. target audience.
0: And I hear what you're saying uh, about uh, you know you need to build a new audience and, and expectations. But as a creative person, are Saint Just and uh, and Max Tudor still delighting you and challenging you and 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 inspiring you to write? I mean, do you, do you ever get bored with 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 writing these books? I you know I
1: I don't really if. when the boredom seeps in, I will change the location of the story. You you do have to do that. I couldn't keep writing about Nether Monk Slip forever. Right. uh, Just time after time. And I do need to return to that village because people did like that village and the villagers. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what more to say about that.
0: No, I think it's an interesting, uh, you know, with success comes expectations. Uh, you know, we talked about Agatha Christie earlier. She got sick of Perot, but she couldn't yeah. stop writing Perot. I mean, she that was, but she did also, she was, she had a fascinating career because she did write, you know, dark gothic and this and that and all these other characters and, and plays and, and things. But, um, but people wanted Perot.
1: yes I always preferred Miss Marple and and I wish I could have told her that write more Miss Marple please I I, I don't know why she there were like 10 of those novels there weren't very many and Poirot was totally the the guy that I hope some marketing person wasn't telling her oh you should only write Poirot you know maybe that was that was it
0: well no I think that that was but she she pushed back against it um I I when I started reading Christy I read Miss Marple first so I was a big fan um and you're right there aren't that many novels lots of short stories with Miss Marple but not as many novels yeah Um, interesting yeah yeah well Tommy and Tuppence were also fun she she just fascinating writer as far as careers go you know um, and her standalones, she didn't write many, but they were good. Um, obviously some of them great. <laughs> um, oh, the, the, uh,
1: endless night was, I, I think still, you know, just a, a nearly perfect book. Yeah. I, you can't say that about many books that just it takes your breath away when you realize what she's done again, you know, she's tricked you again. I, I love the, um, the fact that she could write for the theater, and you, that must be attractive to you as well. That she wrote so successfully as as a playwright, and I would say that's a talk about a gear shift. That's completely different way of thinking and structuring, and and need for outlining, completely different from uh, the novels she wrote.
0: Yes, I mean, as a um, I mean, this isn't a podcast about Agatha Christie, but as an aside, she had uh, sold a couple of her novels to be adapted to radio plays or to plays and wasn't happy with the adaptations. And also her sister wrote plays, and so she sort of figured that was a challenge, and that's one reason she did it. But then she wrote Mousetrap, which, you know, was a play unto itself and is still running all these years later. Um, So, yeah, phenomenal, uh, interesting, but a working writer. I mean, she, she also what is what are people going to read how can I stay you know relevant how can I keep people going and um and that mattered to her as well but yeah she she certainly contributed a lot to all of us
1: you know she also she had a secretary she dictated her stories to and I think that would be very helpful to have something better than Microsoft Word garbaging up your 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 spoken words she had I forget the name of the the woman she was a great friend of hers and when she had her uh, famous disappearance uh the uh, friend was very loyal to her but yeah. she I think the reason she could go off on uh archaeological digs is that she d- was dictating to a secretary she was so prolific you think how in the world did you write three perfect books in one year I think that's how she yeah. did that that help
0: yeah she had some some support well we Mm -hmm. all need supports and this kind of goes into another part of this conversation um the importance of community for writers you talked about going to malice domestic early early on and and finding out the, the possibilities that were there through that conference but also meeting other writers can you talk about the importance of community in your writing journey oh uh constant
1: and continuing as, as you know, I was on the board of sisters in crime with you. Mm -hmm. I forget how many years ago this was, but sisters in crime has just has so many programs. It it, it still amazes me what you guys come up with and implement and, and pull off because a lot of what you're doing is I would look at and say, Oh, we can't do that. You know, just not too expensive. Can't do it. And, off you go and, and and produce it. It's just it's really stunning compared with any other writers group I've I've participated in. It's, what you do is really good. Um I during the pandemic, I discovered Zoom along with so many other people, and that was really a godsend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could join any writer's group, the, these timed writing type things where you meet and chat and then go off and write and then come back and chat some more. That was just simply to stop from going crazy during the pandemic. That was such a helpful thing to have. And um, I belong to a local writer's group that's had you know, marvelous success. We're all writing different things, suspense, dark suspense thriller, you know, all kinds of things. And I don't, you know, I'm supposed to comment on their writing. I don't honestly know that I'm the best judge of a a dark thriller, but uh, we all just pitch in and have each other's backs. And uh, that is amazingly beneficial to, you know, easing the the loneliness of this job. Mm -hmm. You you really need that community out there is so helpful.
0: And and other writers understand what you're doing, and whereas your family and friends love you and want to support you, um, other writers will also give you tough love if it's required.
1: Yeah, we have some. My my local writers group is very good at that, and and not just saying, "Oh, this is great." They, you know, they will they will spot the weakness, and you need that. You very much need that. I don't think my family ever really understood what I was doing, and the it, it does from the outside probably look like we sit down and we write this book and it goes out in the world and people buy it and it's just you know just so easy and no problems and there's just all this behind the scenes negotiation and uh, you know agents and editors and just all the back and forth. It's never you you're never just able to write a book and unless you're self-published you know just put it out there I wouldn't I would be afraid to do that because I would need a lot of eyes on that book before I I put it out there
0: well m- many indie authors do that I mean they're they they sort of have to switch their brain into now I'm publisher so I've got to get an editor I've got to do this I've got to do that um, and it's a lot of work where you still have to do parts of that when in publishing world, you you know, but you're working with editors. There's, built into the process is editing and copy editing and everything else, which is is super helpful.
1: Yeah, when we were talking about advice or things I didn't expect in this world, I don't think anyone's quite prepared for how much you're expected to promote your own books. And yeah. how much you're supposed to spend promoting your own books. It's that Is a shock and it's not changing anytime soon once they um kind of realize that they could get away with it um you know it's all falling on our shoulders and some people love that part of it I kind of don't mind that part of it but I'd much rather be writing Mm -hmm. at at any you know given any choice
0: it's interesting because in this podcast I've had an opportunity to talk to some writers who've had long, long, long careers, you know, dating back to the, um, well, in some cases, the 80s, right? Early 80s with book tours and, and, you know, before things started to change in publishing and publishing has changed so much. And you're exactly right. Um, as the expectation on the author to be part of the promotion, um, at their own expense, in in many cases, uh, is is there, and it's not going to go away.
1: Nope, no, that's and I th- I think it's, it's it's a bit of a cruel thing that people who are writers, many of us, are retiring people. We we don't want to be out there center stage. We would like to run away from ever being forced to do that. Um, but that is the expectation that you're this kind of huckster out there selling, selling your book all the time. It's, uh, I don't know, I keep hoping that I just write the best book I possibly can and it will somehow magically find an audience. I know that doesn't work either, but to, to the greatest extent I can, I try to focus on the writing and hope that they... You know, it reaches the audience without my having to be on the road three hundred days a year to, to promote That's
0: right. it. To promote it. How many books have you written so far? I think it, I'm on eighteen. Number eighteen. And that certainly helps, as you're you know you've got a a, a mass of work behind you. You're building an audience and expectations and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still find it as fun as you did at the beginning?
1: Oh much much more fun it's it's a bit easier because it's like driving a car or something. I've driven a car for many years, and i I don't have to think about it as much. Uh, maybe that's recipe for disaster but um i it's an automatic response almost yeah. I know I can do this. I'm not uh as nervous about it. My second book I barely slept writing during the time of writing my second book because the first one had done very well yeah. and you 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 have to meet that bar at least and maybe exceed it if you can so i was my brain was overtime just going into overtime over that um but it, after a while you realize you know lives are not counting on this um you know, to, to some extent, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful job, but it's it's it is a, a job and you do that and then you go have a life as much as you can too.
0: Yeah. Well, and to feed your creativity, you know, to observe life and to do research and to hear stories that can add to what you're concocting for the future
1: oh yeah i I love to travel for that reason, and I really can't write uh when I'm on vacation or uh traveling uh, and so I've decided that is when you know this whole refilling the well idea that's when I do that and that's it's it is wonderfully refreshing and I come back and and can carry on so what's next for you? What's next is two more St just this one I keep talking about is number six um and uh, seven i don't I don't know yet this is I, this is actually a bit rare I don't have a completely solid idea I think it will revolve around a wedding so
0: number and, seven. <laughs> I, I wish people could see your face because you're like I think it's going to be a wedding i't I know um and uh once you you get a book in twenty twenty three Coming out
1: 2023 is, a- is uh, it's a book that's already out. This is a, one of these strange moments in publishing history. The uh, washing away of wrongs, Max Tudor number eight, came out in England from Little Brown UK. It came out in ebook here and there, you know, everywhere. Ebooks are everywhere. The print version came out in the UK. It's already there. You can order it from Blackwells, and it's free shipping to the U.S. or anywhere you want. But the actual U.S. version of that doesn't come out until January.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, it's I don't know. So we could miss the Christmas market. I guess that's (laughs) 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 so really screw up. I just don't know. (laughs) <laughs> why well, these decisions are made, but that is sort of out there uh, if you look for it in, in uh, January, it will be in the U.S., hopefully wherever you look for it. And after that, I'm working on Max 9. I do have an idea for Max 9. So there's a, I, I was worried that I would mix these two characters up, but mm-hmm. so far it doesn't happen. Knock wood.
0: Well, and that's, I mean, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, they're two separate. Do you ever have a Max Tudor idea while you're working on a uh, St. Just book? Uh,
1: That does happen. Then I'll make a note of it and put it in its own little folder because it doesn't fit what I'm currently working on. Yeah. Yeah. I do have an ideas folder.
0: Where you can, you can dive in and find find that germ that will start the next uh, the next journey. Hopefully. How long How long does it take you to write a book? Oh, anywhere from six
1: to nine months to get the first good draft done and off to the editor, and then you know it comes comes back and it comes back and page proofs and eh, print proofs. You that that's the other thing you don't quite expect about this job is that you don't finish it and it's gone done and gone it the editor's comments come back and you do that and then uh, there's a page proofs uh, that have to be edited for mistakes and then the final printed pages which will still have mistakes despite the fact that you know 80 yeah. people in looking for those mistakes for a mm-hmm. solid year and <laughs> there they are um, and one will always slip by that's another rule of publishing there'll always be one typo in there yeah. But uh, I, it's a bit challenging because I am writing for UK publishers now, and my spelling—I just have figured out: don't use the word "neighbor" or "behavior" or anything that's spelled two different ways. That's my new my new system going forward. I just avoid those <laughs> those words and use well, this.
0: Do you have to, when you, um, so you're writing for UK publishers and then when they're released here, do you make the Americanization changes or do you just keep them UK spelled?
1: I think it's going to be, now in the case of Max, I'm not sure because this is a new publisher for me. I think it'll just be the same book reprinted in UK style.
0: Yeah. Is that challenging for you? I mean, are the idioms that you don't, no, or or both English, but it's two different kinds of English.
1: Yeah, there, once in a while, I will use a an expression. Uh, I can't think of an example. Um, I'm hot as heck, or something. And I wonder would a British person say that? I have to go look it up, and so Google to the rescue in cases like that. Uh, just they have their own expressions, and they're usually very very clever very witty use of language um but i i do try not to have excuse me uh st just say something that that no british man would ever say yeah. uh it's wonderful to have an american character sneak in once in a while because they can just you know talk like i talk and i don't have to worry that i'm saying the wrong thing
0: did you add that level of complexity to yourself or did you you know you found these characters who are in the uk was it uh, did you ever think, well, I'm going to make them American to make it easier on myself?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. My well, I wrote a series, a two two book series called Augusta Hawk, and she was American, so and that was a bit of a relief to not have to worry about that. Um, the oh, I don't know. I I always admired British writing. Read a lot of British authors. Mm-hmm just completely enamored of their use of language, you know, starting of course with Shakespeare on down. I love Charles Dickens. So this whole, when I set out to write, I wanted to write a UK based uh, story. I was also a big fan of Colin Dexter and all the things Mm. on TV with uh, Morse, all those shows. So I just, yeah, I wasn't gonna write a Los Angeles PI. That was somebody else's territory. I don't tend to read those books. So I wrote what I tend to read, which was Robert Bernard.
0: That's awesome. Wow, we're all grateful that you do. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for a great conversation, for being on the podcast.
1: Absolutely delighted. Thank you for such good questions.
0: Well, I love I love talking to writers and hearing about journeys and it's um, I'm going to be thinking about you writing non chronologically and putting a <laughs> book together for a long time because I give you a ton of credit for that. Um, and I'm also going to be exploring Microsoft Word and dictation. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Speeds yeah, it up. Yeah. Speeds it up. Thank you, Jen. It was great to talk to you. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. bye. Bye. Bye.